Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called You Can Be My Wingman Anytime. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by my wingman, Matt Turumpitz. How's it going, Matt? All right. How you doing there, buddy? Yeah, good, because today is the last time we're going to talk over Skype before we meet live in person, finally, after four years and about 300 podcasts together. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm oddly ambivalent about it because, I, of course, I don't want to mess up what we already have by actually meeting you in real life and having us not get on at all. I suggest we add whiskey and see if that, if that makes things tick along smoother. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think whiskey makes anything tick along smoother. I tell you what made this race tick along though, Matt. Can we start by saying that today the Pirelli tires and the philosophy of the Pirelli tires did their job? This is exactly what it's meant to do. The two title contenders up front on different tire strategies. I mean, this is the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it did it ish. Ish. It was pretty close. It kind of in the end worked out sort of like they hoped maybe, uh, except for the actual race got in the way. But really what they want is more than one pit stop. And that's that's the place where they haven't quite got it all figured out yet. I mean, it doesn't help at a track like this, which is often described as Monaco without the barriers, because you can do something like Bottas did today, which is make tyres that really you should have got off of last and just sit and park the bus. Because that's, that's all Bottas was doing towards the end, wasn't it? Parking the bus. Yeah, actually, it was very funny. Uh, they mentioned that at the beginning, I believe that the... Um Wow, I'm getting the actual race stuff here, but I think the uh, the longest stint they wanted you to run on the sauce was somewhere around 43 laps, and right about lap 60, where it all started to get very interesting, is right when uh, right when he hit that mark. So yeah, it was definitely definitely in that sense, Pirelli was on it in terms of the window. So there you go, it nearly worked. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Nick Numbers Alexander making another debut. You know, you keep using that word debut. You do not think it means what you think it means. 
Excellent. Also, we're joined by our very own racing driver, Bradley Philpot. How's it going, Bradley? It's going really well. Good evening, everyone. Happy to be back on. And hi to the live stream. This is how to find us. Go to YouTube, search Missed Apex Podcast, click subscribe and the little bell. You'll get a notification every time we go live and you can join the live chat room. Let's talk about this track. Now then, uh, Brad, let's talk about this from a racing point of view, because I was talking on Twitter with deadly rival podcaster Jack Nichols, uh, and he was complaining that a lot of people on his timeline were saying that they didn't enjoy this race. But to me, this was like a classic F1 strategic battle. It even had crashes for people who need that kind of thing. A lot Over the years, a lot of people have complained that this track is one that you can't overtake at and it could be processional. But from everything I've seen really this weekend, whether it's the support races or F1 itself, it's not bad at all, really. It doesn't have the massive straights where you can slipstream and outbreak people um, at the end of the straight, except maybe the first corner. But I think it's actually quite a good track for racing on. I don't think the Monaco without the barriers is actually that fair. No, because if you look at turn one, there's a few different lines into turn one. There's room for the cutbacks. And then there's a couple of lines uh, around turn three. There's a lot of people going around the outside. Grosjean and Massa did it in the last few years. Yeah, there's plenty of alternate lines you can take in a few of the different parts of the track. And then if you have some inclement weather, which some of the support races had, it it throws even more uh, variables in there. Yeah, in particular, I found it a bit reminiscent of Abu Dhabi. Of course, it would be the other way around because uh, I believe the Hungaro Ring predates Abu Dhabi. But in that, we had switchbacks and extensions of battles into turn three where you could cut back and go inside, outside, inside and get round of people. And, And that's always a nice thing to have. Uh, but Nick, as an actual spectacle, I mean, it was the top four drivers, supposedly in the world, but certainly the top four fighting in the championship in the top two teams, all duking it out over the course of that race. I mean, what more could people ask for? You're a, you're a token Vettel fan, so obviously you could ask for a little more. Yeah, sometimes I think that's the only reason you have me on here. Um, I thought it was interesting that you chose to use the word classic because I actually used that word to describe it to a friend who was unable to watch and that... It wasn't the classic F1 race that is for the history books and that we're always going to watch the replays 10 years from now. But it was like a very typical F1 race and that you had different strategies. You were kind of waiting for it to play out. You pressed pause. You went and made breakfast. You came back to it. That sort of thing. Actually, yeah, I'm glad you corrected me there. Classic is the wrong word. Classic kind of means, yeah, one that we will play back throughout history. Typical is is definitely the one I would like to use because I think... For me, if you didn't enjoy this kind of battle over the course of an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, then you're going to be, a dis- you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time because this is, this is a lot of what F1 is, is that waiting game, that cooking towards something, the different strategies converging. And quite a lot of the time, nothing happens, but today did. But a lot of things happened in qualifying as well, Matt. Wow, did that weather mix things up? I think going into the weekend, we thought this was going to be a Ferrari-dominated weekend. Well, yeah, I mean, the weather can always mix things up, but I think what was most striking about it was not only did the advantage that Ferrari most clearly had utterly evaporate in the weather, but also that the advantage that Red Bull has supposedly had also was seemed to be utterly and completely gone with uh, Ricciardo out in Q2 and Verstappen able to do no better than seventh. And man, was he a bit complaining on the radio about it. So basically, Max is terrible in the wet now. Uh, Yeah, clearly 
his talent in the wet has has gone, and the car is exactly the same as it was last year. Now that's right. Now Red Bull did seem surprised by that, and they they seemed like they would be more confident given what they did with Ricardo because they had him basically out of sync. So everybody else went on to uh went on to slicks, didn't they? At first, Vettel was out on intermediates in Q two, and basically Ricardo was left stranded when the rain came down, and then he couldn't do anything about it, despite just going round and round and round. I mean, it was a fascinating qualifying session, but Ricardo was the only one of the top six to miss out. Yeah, uh, although to be fair, that had nothing to do with his tires and everything to do with your favorite driver, Lance Stroll, who, having made it through into Q two promptly went and smashed right. his wing off directly in front of Ricciardo. And from that point, the conditions just kept getting worse and worse. And he never really, we never really saw a representative time from him, if we're going to be fair to him that way. It's a shame for Lance Stroll because everyone was talking in Q3 and they were saying, oh, look, look, he's done it at other places. He did it in Monza in the wet. You know, maybe this is his strength. And then, woo, <laughs> off he goes. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, there's way less turns in Monza. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even in Q3, Daniel Ricciardo was struggling uh, and he, he, he only just about got that time, didn't he? And when everyone was changing on to slicks, they were basically fueled up for the whole of Q3. He was on softs, which is, you know, the, the middle of the three compounds. So Red Bull must have been quite confident, but he only just scraped out of Q3. Yeah, I think I remember them saying that he was down a set of ultra softs and that's why Uh they had put him on softs for that stint. And they had they were hoping to get a time in before the rain and it just didn't quite work out the way they wanted. Just to clarify, I don't actually think Ricardo made it into Q3. I think it was just Verstappen. I think Sorry, Q2. So I got confused between Q1 and Q3. So, yeah, he was struggling to get out of Q1. Uh, and didn't make it into Q3, got knocked out in Q2. Uh, but Brad, I do want to talk to you next because Hamilton pulled off that uh, great pole lap. Uh, I don't know if you caught him talking to Anthony Davison about the different racing lines he took because it was very similar to what we did at Daytona where you were advising me all the time, uh, keep, keep going around the outside, go around the outside. Then at the end of the race, you're like, oh no, it just happened to not be the case here. Yeah, um, I actually didn't catch that entire uh, interview with Anthony Davidson because, and I'll go into this later, I was at um, Jeansy Van Jean's house today um, and I was helping him with something in the kitchen whilst that was on. But I saw that he was describing in detail and I actually, I saw it for myself in qualifying. When we rode on board with Hamilton, he was taking drastically different lines to a lot of drivers, um, very, very early turn-ins and they were working. And I saw also Lando Norris doing a similar thing in the feature race of the D- Formula 2 this weekend as well. Really similar early lines. And in a similar way to going around the outside is a part of the track that's not used very often. So it just seems to offer that bit more grip in the wet. Very early turning seems to do a similar thing. Um, and the shorter lines just seem to work very well here. Nick? In the in the wet also, I can't remember which commentator it was, but one of them made a comment, you know, of course, where was Max Verstappen? We would expect him to put it on pole here. And they also made some sort of wrong assertion that I would like to let Brad correct in that when it's seriously raining and you're on the full wets that um, a lack of power doesn't hurt you anymore. And that just sounds wrong. Wouldn't it be that more power would always be better in any condition? Yeah. Essentially, as soon as the wheels have stopped spinning, as soon as you have traction, you want more power. That's it. So you'll quite often hear people in karting, rental karting say, oh, in the wet, it doesn't matter whether you've got the cart with the best engine. It, it doesn't matter right up until the point where the wheel stops spinning. As soon as you've got traction, of course, you want all the power uh, that you can get. Uh, are you telling me that 
me being a bit heavier at the moment with some summer holiday weight isn't going to help me if it rains at our karting event as well. It's less of a disadvantage, um, but by the by the looks of the weather, actually, we're going to have a nice sunny weekend next weekend. Yes, game on. Let's talk about this race, though, the Hungarian Grand Prix. Why don't we just hand it over to Matt to summarise quickly how the race was won and lost. All right. So to me, there's about four crucial points to this race. Once we get past qualifying where Hamilton put in that amazing lap to give himself the advantage of being in front and driving the bus. And of course, the start is where we have to look first. Mercedes was able to maintain its position and therefore control of the race. And crucially, uh, we know from a post-race interview, they were able to establish the gap between uh, Botas and P2 and Hamilton and P1 that Mercedes strategists wanted to give each driver their best chance at maximizing their race. The second point, and this is really critical, is about lap 26 when Hamilton pitted. He was coming up on that train that was being led by Ocon, and Mercedes made the decision to bring him in before he got to it. This put him out behind Vettel, and he trailed Vettel into that very same train. Now, Vettel got there around lap 39, and crucially, he wove his way through that traffic before they brought him in, just after they brought in Raikkonen for his second stop. Raikkonen's stop was slow. His stop was slow. And the combination of that traffic, the time lost as Hamilton was coming up on him and not in that traffic, plus the slow stop, put Vettel behind Botas and gave Mercedes the absolute win. Uh, because it put Botas back between him and it was so difficult to pass even with the tires it was pretty much done and that was where the race really was won and lost yeah I'm glad you focused in on that key moment because I really felt like Mercedes had kind of thrown it away by unleashing Vettel because there was a great part at the front of the race I mean Nick you must have been spitting feathers after turn one because you had Hamilton cruising off into the distance, Bottas just getting further and further behind and Seb just being being really held up and he was just in a proper Bottas train. I'm I'm really not sure I understand your idiom, but yeah, it was feeling like it was going to be difficult to overtake that P3 was going to be the best maybe that you could hope for just damage limitation mode. But, you know, again, with it raining and qualifying with the free selection of tires and the alternate tire strategy, I knew that I should wait and see maybe something could be on. And later it became more and more uh, hopeful, if you will. No, you're Googling what idiom means. I know all the words. Matt, the the fact is, though, that once, once Vettel was unleashed, it really did look like Vettel's race to win. Because, like I said, like, I feel like Mercedes got suckered a little bit. Kimi Raikkonen came in quickly or early and Bottas then jumped to cover off and unleash Vettel. Like, I was going mad at home. I was like, why would you do that tactically? Surely Bottas had, had a bit more time or, or were Mercedes kind of not admitting that they were holding up Vettel at this point? Well, it, it's not so much about them holding up Vettel. It's about thinking about who you're really racing. Remember, of, of, of them all, Vettel started on the soft tires. So at that point, Bodas wasn't really racing Vettel per se. What he was trying to do was get the most time out of his tires as he could. And that was going to be relative to Raikkonen, because the thing that Mercedes didn't want to have happen was they didn't want Bodas behind Raikkonen. 
that's the thing they wanted to prevent. So when Raikkonen came in on lap 15 uh, and out into la- at the end of lap 15 going into 16, that was within the pit window that Pirelli had set for the ultra soft switching to the medium tire. Now, as it was, uh, Raikkonen went out on the softs, and that's what Mercedes chose to put Botas on as well. But he had, at that point, the same compound as Vettel, but newer. So he should have been able to make time on Vettel during that period and not lose anything to Raikkonen, who was already uh, behind him. Hmm. So you're saying that Bottas was thinking about racing Kimi Raikkonen? Well, I I think Bottas was thinking about things like, what's my diff setting for this turn? But the Mercedes strategists were looking to put him in an optimal position that that should have resulted in him being ahead of Vettel after Vettel's stop. That's really what they wanted to do. And, And they were deep enough into the race at that point that they felt like they could get away with it. See, I don't see that because Vettel clearly had a lot of pace. And as soon as they, that, well, as soon as they unbottled him, they must have suddenly realized that, that Hamilton, uh, that Hamilton, sorry, that Vettel was going to create that pit gap to Bottas. Well, no, I mean, think of it this way. Uh, you have Lewis and Bottas on the same compound tires. Now, Mercedes, we know after the fact, wanted a four second gap between them. But as we watched the race unfold, it was clear that Lewis was on top of his tires and Botas was 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 gapping him off rather considerably. It was it was plus 10 seconds, I think, when he came in, if it, it, maybe even up to 14 seconds, it was 14 seconds. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, and so if you're looking at this, you know that as Botas, you're holding up Vettel. Vettel probably has more pace in, in the tires at that point than you have in your tires. So holding up Vettel is a good thing for Mercedes. But the more laps you hold him up, but the more laps you run slow, once Kimmy pits, the closer Kimmy gets to being in front of you when you pit. So you have to look backwards at Raikkonen in your pit window, because you know when you pit, Vettel will be ahead of you. You guys uh, are much better at keeping track of what's going on with the the crazed mess of pit stops and gaps than I am. I think I was um, I was just focusing on how, how much Hamilton was extending his gap at the front <laughs> and, and marveling at... at you know, it was. It just seemed like it was going to be an easy race for him. So I'm really interested in in the way you guys are describing how Bottas really facilitated that. The point I wanted to make was that on lap 20, Hamilton and Vettel were on equal times, and as that continued, Hamilton started to lose time to Vettel. Vettel's tires were now becoming faster than than Hamilton's ultra soft tires. And that's why that was the other reason it made sense to go ahead and get Botas off of him because Raikkonen was on new tires and he would have been taking similar amounts of time out of Botas and coming into his pit window. And they just wanted that to not be a possibility. They didn't want Raikkonen ahead of Botas. Okay, so probably the key point then, the one you covered in the summary, is when we get to this phase of about lap 35 to 37, we're getting to the crossover where Sebastian Vettel is starting to lose ground. Not only are his tires starting to to wear towards the end of that soft stint. Lewis Hamilton starting to heat his up and he's starting to pick up. And like you said, he hit the traffic. So then we, we came to this kind of crunch point because Sebastian Vettel didn't want to come in too early to go on to ultras. But we saw the gap. It wasn't the gap to Hamilton so much. It was the gap to Bottas. Would he come out behind Bottas? And I was calling to you guys. I was saying, look, if that gap gets down below 20 seconds, I guarantee they're going to pick Kimi Raikkonen because they saw Mercedes flinch and cover him off with Bottas before, and they might hope that they would do that again. And this is this is where it's fascinating, Nick, because 
your team, Ferrari, absolutely sacrificed Kimi Raikkonen straight away. As soon as that pit window came down, Kimi Raikkonen came into the pits, but Bottas didn't follow. It's a real difference between those two teams. Yeah, but but is it? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into this now or later, but Bottas was definitely playing the number two driver role today and was actually seemingly not very happy about it for once. Whereas in the past, he's just kind of, I think maybe been happy to be part of the team and happy to have a contract extension. But now that that's all sorted, it seems like he's uh, ready to race, especially after the, uh, the restart at the, at the last weekend. Guys, can you see any other way Mercedes could have played this? Because they obviously felt that they, they didn't have the the ultimate legs to to just beat Ferrari in a completely straight fight. So it felt to me as well, Nick, like Bottas was kind of sacrificed quite early in a similar way to what Ferrari tend to do with yeah. Raikkonen. Did they have another option? Was there another way? Because ultimately, and I'm sure we'll come on to this later, Bottas's problems later on were in a large part led by the fact that he had to stop so early to to try and facilitate this. Yeah, see, I, in a large part, yeah, entirely. Yeah, sorry, Nick. Um, I I think that they had two opportunities to sacrifice Bottas the first one was Kimi Raikkonen came in so do they allow Bottas to cover off Kimi Raikkonen because they believe he's really racing Kimi Raikkonen and in that occasion they said we'll do what's best for Bottas we'll we'll cover off Kimi Raikkonen the second opportunity they had was then when Bottas's tyres were running out uh, Kimi had gone on to new tyres to try and pull Bottas into a second stop now now do they leave Bottas out on on aging tyres to hold up Vettel or do they give him a chance to go and race his own race on a fresh set of boots he probably would have pitted out ahead of Kimi as well and on that occasion they then went and sacrificed him and I think that is an out and out sacrifice Brad to say right now that it's towards the end of the race you just sit in front of him as long as you can yeah and and that really that really is the kind of thing we see Ferrari do a lot and my my next question then is they say that there's no number one driver at Mercedes, but if the roles were reversed and Hamilton happened to be the guy in second, would they have made Hamilton do the same thing? Or would they have come up with a different strategy that didn't disadvantage Hamilton so much? Would they have hung him out to dry in the same way? Because I don't think they would. Right. That's interesting. Matt, I'm going to have a stab at this and see if you agree with me. I think in that first set of pit stops with Kimi Raikkonen then pitting, would they have covered off Lewis Hamilton in that way, no. They'd have kept him out ahead of Sebastian Vettel as a roadblock for the rest of the race. Uh, that's that's what I think. Okay, here's what I would say to that. Uh, it would depend on his lap times. If he was running similar times to Bottas, they would have brought him in, no doubt about it, because he was going to do nothing but lose time to Raikkonen at that point. And I think that's a clear, easy, tactical decision, and there's just nothing to be done about it. Um, uh, for the second one, leaving him out... Uh, when Raikkonen pitted the second time, it made more sense to leave him out because... Uh, because you'd already seen evidence that the fresh tires weren't going to make weren't weren't going to make that kind of a difference. Well, they did, didn't they? Because Vettel was able to get past. No, I, actually, I'd say critically, the, the the real call was after the virtual safety car, where they could have brought him in, and he would have lost a single place to Vettel. Because I don't think I don't think at that point Raikkonen was all the way up on them. Uh, although if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be wrong about that because I didn't check it before the show. But to me, bringing him in during the virtual safety car and putting him on fresh tires, that would have left Vettel free to go after Hamilton to the end of the race. 
and but would have absolutely protected him against Raikkonen getting by him and kept him from having to drive outside Pirelli's recommendations on the stent length for the soft tire. They chose not to do it because up until then, he'd done a good job of defending and because of things that had happened in previous races. But we saw how, but then we saw how it actually played out in the race. So hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, Brad, you're arguing with people in the chat room. What are they saying about this? Do they, do they think Bottas was hung out to dry? Well, kind of yes and no. Some people uh, had mentioned that um, telling Bottas to hold station in Germany was a clear indication that he was a number two. But I, I was just saying that I don't think that really is the same. I think that was an end of race, low risk decision. I think this was this was a very early decision in the race, but it really does boil down to, and I agree with the, what the guys in the chat room are saying, it boils, boils down to who was faster. If Bottas was as quick as Hamilton, if he was able to maintain that same pace, things would have been different. It's, it's not that Mercedes are favoring Hamilton. It's that they're favoring the driver who is able to do the job at the time. And it was Hamilton this time. And it does tend to be Hamilton. Yeah, which makes Mercedes' job a little bit easier. But Matt, I think that as the season goes on, they go, oh yeah, we we did favour the number, the faster driver, um, but now we're just favouring Hamilton. All right, counterpoint. Um, Botas, we know he likes to go slow at the beginning and speed up at the end. So it was very interesting to me to see him turning suddenly, almost three quarters of a second faster as Vettel came into the pits. He turned two fast laps in a row that was also absolutely part of Vettel being behind him at the end of the pit stop. So he might be slow, but he's not slow, if you know what I mean. And then they had a little bit of luck with the pit stop, which, Nick, disastrously, that was two bad pit stops for both the drivers. They had one each. Uh, And the question I want to ask you is, do you think, had they not had that pit stop, how would Vettel have gone, assuming he got out ahead of Bottas? If Vettel's stop was not slow, if it was a normal time, he still would have finished P2, I think, and but he wouldn't have ruined Bottas's race in, the, in so doing. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Whose fault is it later? I might have an ally in whose fault is this? Oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, all right, then. Let's just clear up, then, the team orders debate, because I'm quite excited to see clear number twos in a two-way title fight, if that makes sense. Uh, Brad, do you remember me giving you that suggestion that we would have a karting race, but it wouldn't be who won? We'd all bring our other halves who are not into karting, and it would be all about who could get their their partner up front. Yeah, I do. I actually really like that idea. We need to do that. (laughs) But it's the team element, Brad. It's such an individual sport, but we've got a real possibility this season that the number twos are going to decide the driver's title. And I'm quite excited to see how that plays out. I'd like to see both teams go, do you know what? Yeah, this is what we're doing. This is the way of F1 this season. Yeah, I, you know, I hate, I really don't like speaking about these guys as number twos, but it comes to a point in the season where, you know, you kind of understand what the average performance is. I think you refer to it like this, you know, this is the the mean. You tend to see these guys are behind the the kind of the number ones, even if they're not officially called number ones. Um, so I think we have to accept it from this point onwards. More often than not, Vettel's going to be in front of Raikkonen. Hamilton will probably be in front of Bottas. So yeah, it, it would. I'm actually interested to see whether Bottas can get ahead of Raikkonen in the championship and how that's going to play out. It's it's just mathematical probability and 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 reasonableness when somebody's you know 40 50 points ahead of their teammate. At a certain point, even if they have the same skill, luck, whatever, you just have to 
let one go and you kind of have to pick a horse. And I just was laughing to myself a little bit because Brad's talking about number one driver or whatever you want to call it. You know, they have this same problem with goaltenders and hockeys and they've invented this one, a one B way of referring to goaltenders that doesn't offend anybody, but you know, everyone wants to be one a, a, <laughs> yeah, I think there was a Futurama skit where they in, they uh, insisted on being called Team A, and the other one said, oh, well, in that case, we're Team 1. And they could do that. They could have Driver A and Driver 1, and that really mixed things up. But in our series of Nick Alexander notices things, uh, you noticed the, the interview with Natalie Pinkman and Bottas. Yeah, I think a lot of people noticed that one. It was... Um... It was Toto was being interviewed right after the race, and he was very happy, obviously, because it was it seemed like Ferrari's, you know, weekend going in. And he was just so happy that Bottas had been such a good wingman. And then Natalie Pinkman is interviewing Bottas and saying, you know, your boss is so happy with you. He said you were such a great wingman. And he was like, wingman is not a good term. And he was very unhappy about it. Um, And special thanks to Rory Mackay, who's in the chat room. He sent me a link to Valtteri's Twitter where he immediately backtracked on straying from the public relations line and saying, uh, you know, I'm, I misunderstood what he meant and he would never say anything about that. And the team is happy and, you know, thanks so much for employing me, basically. And it, it was really sad to see, you know, that moment of authenticity immediately retracted. Brad, can I just... Can I just defend Toto here for a moment? I do think it's just an unfortunate choice of words. And I don't think he really was meaning to to imply that he was a number two. I think if the roles have been reversed, if, if Bottas had been the quicker driver this weekend, you know, sometimes Hamilton just isn't on it for a weekend. And had Hamilton performed a similar role, I think he would have also referred to him as he did a great job as the wingman today. I don't know whether, as I said before, I don't know whether the man, but had he done that job, I think he would have also referred to him in the same way. So I don't think it's quite as bad as it sounds. Yes. Uh, Muna119 in the chat room would like us all to know that it's Pinkham, not Pinkman. And uh, I find myself in general agreement with Brad. I think Toto was making specific reference to how he rode, how he drove a team race when he was, when he realized he wasn't in it for the win and was trying to pay him a compliment. Yeah. And chose a word that has unfortunate connotations within the sport. Exactly. We've all seen Top Gun. And I will just say to the chat room, when you have a less common pronunciation of a common name, like Jake Sampson and Sampson, it does Palmar. happen. Yeah, or Palmar, and Neil Palmar for Palmer. It does, look, occasionally these things are going to get said wrong. I apologize. Uh, no offense to uh, Natalie Pinkham or Charles Leclerc. Uh, I've right. been watching Breaking Bad in my defense. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, we've got an actor called Pinkman. There you go. Yeah. Jesse Pinkman's a character. Yeah. Uh, there you go. So yeah. Um, he was immediately ordered basically to go on social media and retract his disappointment. And the Pinkham interview though, she didn't stop at one. She was like, okay, the wingman, you're the wingman. And he said, oh, that hurts. And she went, yeah, but you, you are the wingman, aren't you? Like just really just twist, just twist that a little bit more because he looked proper it- upset. It was it was a bit like me on my last debut on the show for the German Grand Prix when you were like, yeah, but in front of his home fans, that must have really, you know, been completely devastating, right? You must be so sad. She apologized to him afterwards. All right. So, look, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to say I think Mercedes are putting up a good front. 
Lewis Hamilton's the number one driver. They realise that. I wouldn't be surprised if the tone is slightly different coming back from the summer holidays. Ferrari are definitely doing it all out. They're not even trying to hide it. Um, but I mean, Bottas and was really doing, he was doing that wingman job. He was literally on the, on the first lap instead of attacking Hamilton. Hamilton wasn't even trying to block him. Bottas moved right out to the edge to block the Ferraris, Matt and the Mercedes. They, it was like they were in formation. Yeah, and and Hamilton actually had an interesting um, interview uh, post race where he he said that you know this is something that they talked about and that he himself was being very mindful in his start to try and not block Valtteri off so that he so that the Ferraris would wind up getting past him because he said whoever wound up in 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 the first position out of turn one it was to no one's advantage for Ferrari to be, to be by either of them. So it's, it's, I think, I think they have a thing going where, where they watch out for each other. And perhaps uh, at a certain point, unlike the Rosberg relationship, it's not yet degraded to the point where they, where they, where they will uh, say one thing and do another. Shall we go with that? Perhaps Nick, I just had an idea just now. If I was Mercedes and I was signing Bottas up for a contract extension, or if I was any team really, I would put in a hidden secret clause, whatever under the table, what have you, that there was a driver's championship bonus that would be split evenly between both drivers, no matter who won it. That way you would incentivize them at a certain point to be like, you know what? You're more likely to win. You go get us the big bonus. It's been like that. Hmm. I, Brad, you're a racing driver. Would you concede to the number two spot for a few more quid? I think once it, uh, once you go past the point where you don't consider yourself able to win, you think it's very unlikely you're going to win. It might, might incentivize you, but I think everyone is always doing the best job possible anyway. And I think there's only certain situations where a bit of extra money might uh, make the difference, but it's quite a good idea, Nick. I like it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, we're going to have a bit of an argument now about whose fault things are. 
because there was a couple of these this week after nothing in Germany at all. But first of all, let's catch up with our panel. Nick Numbers Alexander, for those of you who don't know, I think is uh, an accountant or like a book ledger or a librarian or something. Something to do with, with beans. Yeah. Yeah. I work in an engineering firm now like you, so I can just drop that on the podcast when it's not relevant at all. No, no, no. I always apply my engineering. How dare you? I always apply my engineering uh, credentials when it's relevant and I try to use some fake authority. It's not fair. Look, Matt does all the strategy and he's a blogger. Brad's a racing driver. He gets to say things. We've got Summers who writes for like a huge, let me have my one thing. Damn it. Right. And I'm just the token Ferrari fan. Exactly. Nick, where can people find you online? Because you've got like three followers now. You need more. Yeah, I'm at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter. And I am trying to tweet stuff about things. So if you want to read about stuff, then you should go there. And we've also got Bradley Philpot, who races in the VLN and considers himself a Nordschleifer specialist. Uh, have you been making less contact with things of late? Oh, come on, Spanish. I have like one piece of contact in my entire driving career. And you don't ever let me hear the end of it. Matt did it, it wasn't last even time. even my fault. So I have heard that about you, that you very rarely have those kind of incidents, crashes or contact. I very rarely had enough money to pay for the consequences. So no, I absolutely don't. I'm very safe. Um, no, I've not been really doing any racing um, since we last spoke because we've had car issues, but we're back out in three weeks. So fingers crossed we'll take the win then. But there's a bit more racing coming up next weekend. You're going to be joining me and Matt at Buckmore Park for the third missed Apex karting event. Oh, I'm so pumped. Yeah, me too. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's um, it's looming large in my calendar and I've been uh, mentally rehearsing Buckmore Park and where I'm <laughs> going to pass everyone from my second heat where I start at the back of the grid. Yeah. So just to explain to people what we're doing, and you'd be more than welcome to pop along if you're in the Kent area, we're actually doing a live podcast recording, which I'm really looking forward to. We've got about 20 or so people coming at the moment. If you want to come along, you can come along. Uh, It would help me if you'd email me spannersready at gmail.com and just let me know. But we've got an hour and a half slated. Uh, We've got some tech segments. We've got some racing segments. Uh, You're bringing along a guest as well, Brad. I am. Yeah. My friend, um, Alex Brundle, who's done a bit of racing in his time. He's raced everything from, um, carts, T cars, Formula Two, and, uh, done very well at Le Mans as well. So he's, he's currently, I think, racing in, uh, in some very high profile endurance championships. So he should be quite handy, shouldn't he? Yeah. And he's really small. <laughs> But it's going to be quite good because you two are going to do a little 20-minute masterclass as part of the show. Summers is going to come up and do some tech stuff. He'll do a tech Q&A. And, of course, me, Matt, and Rainbow Sparkles will be up there doing a bit of a a Q&A and a bit of a mid-season review as well. Now, interestingly, though, we've got the Podcast Wars Heat. So we've got Missed Apex Podcast as a team, right? We've got Checkered Flag with uh, Jack Nichols and some ringers, including Alex Brundle. So they're going to be quite handy. We've got for F1 Sake podcast, who, quite frankly, they sounded optimistic at first, but listening to them more and more, I think they're a bunch of chances. I think we're going to swamp them, no problems. Yes, that's right. I'm laying the smack down. And we've got the Norfolk F1 drunks who record from a pub, and they, they will be drunk. So they're going to be swerving a lot. They're not going to be taking the optimal lines. And also, I've got an extra special advantage in that race, because as the team number one... Obviously, I'm just going to issue out team orders, Matt. And we will certainly listen just as well as we do on the podcast. Mick? 
Missed Apex Podcast does not sponsor drinking while driving. Please remember to drink responsibly, and when you drink, never drive. Don't get caught, kids. I mean, don't do it, kids. Right, let's talk about whose fault this is. Whose fault is it? Oh, man. Because honestly, I was really disappointed in Germany. There was no whose fault is this is. We didn't get to argue about anything. And isn't it interesting how race fans can just see things so differently? So what we've got is, coming down the home straight, Sebastian Vettel has got the run on Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottas has a bit of an oversteer on the exit of the uh, of the turn one, uh, and he's got no traction. Seb's got loads of traction. He's going to go seemingly around the outside of turn two, which we see people do all the time. But actually, instead, he just cuts the nose off the corner, smashes into Bottas, and instantly I'm thinking, whoa, hang on a minute, he's he's turned into Bottas, he's taken his nose off, this is incredible. And then I've got Brad, Anil, Matt, all telling me straight away, no, you're an idiot, you're stupid. So have we got a 2-2 split here? Who thinks that that is Vettel's fault. Show of hands, it's just me and Nick, isn't it? So here's my case. I'm going to put this to to Brad. I think that Vettel never got clear. So he always had part of his car alongside Bottas, and then Vettel just took the apex. And as Matt said on one of these incidences, I'm there, man. He turned in. Well, he was there. There was a car there. Surely he can't turn in. Right. Before we get into this, I have to lay the ground rules for how you can consistently apply something over any similar incident. So we avoid this um, potential argument anytime ever again. This can be applied retrospectively to other incidents. You can you can use my rule here or anything in the future or these things today. So I don't I don't know. That doesn't sound like something that we want to do. I'm going to do it anyway. I was <laughs> I desperate. Think we want to argue all the time. I was desperate to tell this to Spanners earlier. He said, save it for the podcast. So I'm taking my opportunity. Let's do it. So let me, I'm going to do this as briefly as I can. I was at um, Alex Jeansy Van Jeans' house today watching the race, having lunch with him. And on my way home, I was trying to think of a way that I could explain to you why I think certain things about racing incidents or sorry, incidents that happen in a race. I know we don't have racing incidents here. Um, and I was driving along a dual carriageway with lanes. And I was alongside someone and we approached a roundabout and we stayed side by side in our respective lanes round the roundabout. And I thought to myself, if that person on my inside was to wander into my lane, that would be their fault. They would be the one coming towards me. And I thought of a phrase which hopefully sums up succinctly how you can work out whose fault something is. And this is going to completely go against me in this Vettel argument, but I'm going to tell you anyway, <laughs> um, it's... The way you judge this is, it's about who is moving towards whom relative to the shape of the part of the track they're occupying. And the way to visualize that is to think of lanes on a roundabout. If you're holding a consistent line and um, and you're alongside someone, you can't move into their lane. If there's any part of them near you, if you move into their lane, and, and by lane, I mean, obviously, an imaginary lane, which is the width of their car, um, then it's your fault. You're the one deviating from the shape of the track. You're moving towards them. If they're staying equidistant between the left and the right side of the track, whether it's on a straight or in a corner, and you're moving towards them, it's your fault. Um, sorry, Matt, go, go, go ahead before I continue this. I just wish to make the fairly relevant point that no one ever again has any right ever to complain about how long I talk about anything ever again. Wait, was that Sorry. all you were interrupting for? I was finding it very interesting, Brad. Don't you worry about that mean American. Uh, you can punch him in the face when he flies here next week. It's fine. I've been I've been really trying to think of how to say this as quickly as possible. No, so no, apologies. It's fine. 
Can I make it easier with pictures? Can I clarify then? Do your lanes only come into effect when they have parts of the car alongside each other? As in, if he's clear, obviously he can just take the apex. And is it any part of the car when your lane system kicks in or a significant part or half? So, yeah, really good question. So to answer that, and there are a couple of other caveats, but it, it kind of holds true for the most, most part. Um, think of it as if you're on the road again. If you're the only car there, there's no car around you, use any lane you want. You know, you can take the racing line on a roundabout. Um, you can stay in your lane. You can do whatever you want. But as soon as there's someone next to you, if you move into their lane, if you move into the part of the track that they're occupying, then it's your fault. Um, and to answer the second part of your question there, yes, it's any part of the car. Imagine you're a car on the motorway going in a straight line and there's a lorry on the left in the left-hand lane next to you and you're nearly past him, but you decide to move into the slow lane and you spin yourself off the motorway into the ditch. You, He had a, a small part of his lorry front bumper alongside you, but it's still your fault. You drove into his lane. He was just driving in a straight line. And the same applies in a corner, although the lane curves at the same angle as the corner goes. Right. So just before we finish this, and I it's promise good. this is the end. There's one. Well, the main caveat to this is if both cars are straying from the, the lane in inverted commas at the same rate. So say two cars have gone into a corner and they're running wide at the same rate, then effectively you've got, you're consenting. Both of you are consenting that the lane is the trajectory that you're both following. And it's only when someone then deviates from that the the you hit him or he hit you rule applies but for the most part if drivers are under control um and they're not both going off uh off their trajectory at the same rate the lane system tends to apply so now let's apply that to the first incident today that you just asked me about sorry that took so long no that that's fine um nick let's get your opinion on this as a bias and terrible vettel fan uh you must yeah, take just, yeah, issue break up the break up the rhythm a little bit so <laughs> You hear people say a lot of times, and maybe this is a misconception that you can clear up at this time, that they were there first, it was their corner, and since it was their corner, then they're free to take the racing line all the way to the outside. And I'm I'm not, to be very clear, I'm not making the argument that that in this particular situation, but when people say things like that, is that just kind of one where you're like, ah, that's not, that's not yeah. a rule. That's not a thing. See that, that one doesn't make sense to me when they say, oh, it's his corner. Because say if you're, if you're halfway alongside as you go into a corner, that by that rule that you're talking about, Nick, that means they can just turn in whenever they want. And if the guy, if the guy's half a car behind, he just has to jump out of the way when somebody chooses to take an apex. Yeah. That, that doesn't, that doesn't really, that's not a thing. Basically that, it's his corner relies on the person that is uh, that's further back, the the person who's kind of second in the queue, although alongside. It relies on their cooperation. Now that's how that's the position I'm going to try and argue that this wasn't Vettel's fault because applying my system rigidly, yeah. this was Vettel's fault. So so how does um, how does this us, become not his fault? Right. So um, this changes to not his fault. Now I just want to I just need to clarify. Really, this is the most racing incident, racing incident that there's ever been, ever. But for the purposes of this podcast, how uh, I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue strongly for Vettel. I'm now his um, his defence lawyer again. Um, he had a very strong right to expect Bottas would have backed out by then. There comes a point where nine out of ten situations, if you're that far ahead and there's just a tiny bit of the guy's front wing alongside you you could probably expect that he won't be there by the time you enter his lane. 
Bottas would have been sensible to not go for that move. As it played out, it didn't work. Nobody can pass up the inside there. That corner uh, gives an advantage to the driver who's on the outside anyway. We saw the vast majority of passes on that corner this weekend around the outside. Yeah. Bottas's tyres were knackered. There was no no need for him to to try and stick a nose up the inside. So in Vettel's defence, yep. he had every expectation really that Bottas would have been gone. Okay, I'm going to do some host juggling here. Firstly, chat room. Tell me, whose fault is this, Vettel or Bottas? Next, Brad, answer quickly. If Sebastian Vettel had got a puncher out of that, would you have said he was the innocent victim or would we be saying, whoa, come on, he's brought that on himself? Um, I think it was a un- very unnecessary risk he took. Yeah. I think he didn't He didn't need to take that apex. He would have still come out in front if he'd just given Bottas his lane. If he'd left him one car's width on the inside, he would have come out of that corner in front, just like everyone else does around the outside, and he wouldn't have even risked damage. So I think it was Vettel is not an innocent party, really. I think he caused a potential problem for himself. So Ray Thompson in the chat room, when Brad got started with all this, says that, wait, I'm confused. I thought logic doesn't apply to Missed Apex podcast. <gasps> JBJ1138 points out that you don't need to turn your head towards the mirrors to see the mirror. You just need to move your eyes. So in case someone's analyzing that to see if Vettel was looking, that's not really fair. Um, and in fact, else that's, that's exactly right. You don't move your head. You always you always move your eyes. You keep your head in a consistent position most of the time. Someone else, uh, I've lost it now, but someone else says that, you know, Basically, it was both their faults. They were both clumsy, um, overly aggressive, and leaving it in too long. And I'd just like to point out that it would seem very sensible for Bottas to back out a little bit, given the strategy, the length of the tires, all that. But also, just you have more to lose with the front wing versus a tire, yeah. as eh, is basically what. No, played out. no, no. I, I don't. I don't agree with that. I think. I think losing an M plate is not as bad as losing a puncher in turn two when you've got to waddle all the way back to the track but Matt looking at the chat room there it's about 70-30 are saying it's Bottas's fault now somebody in there said racing incident we don't do that here uh, someone said it's both their fault which we can totally get on truck with uh, multiple fault is, is fine I like that okay I didn't know that was an option yeah if, no hang on that, even, even as I say that now I don't know oh do you know okay. what we'll have to put that under I, arbitration we'll, make, we'll give it a temporary pass for this week I think I might have okay. missed up. to administration. So I think it's uh, partially the mirror's fault as well because you can't see anything in those things. Can I just sum up in my my real opinion of this is? Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Bottas had no business trying to repass Vettel down the inside there. He was slower. Even if he managed to get in front there a little bit, wouldn't have come off anyway. So it's a silly place to try and take back a position. He was way too far back. And Vettel took a silly, unnecessary risk in chopping his nose off. So both of them made quite a serious error there. Could have come off worse for, for both of them. Right. Well, given the lecture we had at the beginning of this, I'll sum up my view fairly succinctly. If I was Mauricio Arriva Bene, I'd be yelling at Vettel for being stupid. If I was Toto Wolf, I'd be yelling at Botas for being stupid and throwing away uh, third place. But yep. if I'm looking at what happened on track, I got to say, the fact that Botas lost his entire rear wing and Vettel didn't get a puncture tells me that he impacted the rear crash structure behind uh, the diffuser. And that's what took his wing off. And therefore, his wing was not in any way, shape or form alongside the rear wheel of Vettel, which would make it pretty much Botas fault, although mitigated by the fact that uh, Vettel coming over would take some downforce off of his front wing and possibly change his braking more than he expected. Maybe he brake tested him. Okay, right. 
quick feedback from the chat room there. Okay, both being at fault is is not allowed. You have to you have to pick one over the other from now on. That was that was weak of me to temporarily allow that. Uh, we we are running out of time though, so we'll just all agree that it was Ricciardo's fault in the next incident where he just simply turned in on poor Bottas, uh... who was who was just picking whatever apex he wanted to pick, just like Nico Rosberg was allowed to pick his apex in 2015. I'm sure this will elicit no further responses. Shall we move on? We're definitely going to talk about this one, aren't we? Okay, so let's keep it simple. I've given you the structure with which to uh, apply to these incidents. So uh, applying that, let's run through the incident. They're going down the straight together. Everyone's staying in their own lane. No one's having a problem. They reach the corner, and this is what's different, very different from the um, the Rosberg-Hamilton-Austria incident. They reach the corner. They're about a third of the way into the corner. So already we're in a, in a different situation. Your lanes at this point are curved in the same shape as the corner. And Ricardo holds a perfect, geometrically uh, brilliant um, lane line, which is giving Bottas ample space up the inside to hold his own line. Just like Bottas, Hamilton did in Austria. No, they were on the straight at that point. And, and um, Rosberg was, t- was going straight as his lane was going straight. So that's why it's different. Um, anyway, and Bottas obviously um, had no grip at the front. He locked up, he ran wide, he understeered into the side of Ricardo. Bottas was the one moving towards the other car. And just to, just with my wording originally again, it's about who is moving towards whom relative to the shape of the yeah. part of the track they're occupying. Well, it made it's a lot, clearly Bottas's fault. It made a lot of sense on the inside because there's nowhere to go. But when you're talking about the contact really being towards the outside, surely Bottas can go as wide as he wants. He He kind of owns the corner, doesn't he? No, not if there's another car next to him. You have to stay in your lane if there's another car next to you. You're not allowed to move towards them. You're not allowed to occupy the same space as they're Trumpets, tell him. Well, actually, I was going to jump in with some chat room Do it. threat. You, you've been threatened by the chat room. It, uh, not the first time. Uh, Daniel Drury is pointing out he only lives 10 minutes away and might very well come crash your podcast. Thank you very much for saying bad things about his Australian friend. You'll never figure out which bright blue shed is mine. Damn it. Anyway. Um, oh, whose fault is it? Yeah, no, no, it's definitely Botas' fault. Um, yeah, uh, Ricciardo left him plenty of room, uh, and he just he misunderestimated his braking point because he had not only tires that he shouldn't have been on, but was also missing probably a much larger piece of his front wing than he, even he realized. I'm not Can I add me. a? I was just going to add a comment that Bottas made in a post-race interview when he was actually blaming Ricardo for the incident. Uh, and Bottas said, he, he should have known I didn't have as much downforce because my front wing was broken. Uh, that was one of the weakest excuses for causing an incident I've ever heard. The other person should have known that I was going to be out of control and career into the side of them. See, I, I was going to say I saw some Mercedes fans who won't be named making that argument. I, I can't believe that a, the driver would make that argument himself. And I'm also very sorry, Spanners. My dog is barking in her sleep in the background. <laughs> May, may require an edit uh hang on a minute judge is ruling we're gonna allow it because i think that dog has sort of become part of the show over the last couple of months so then oh, there's, uh, there's been some good feedback every debut i mean if we've allowed brad's white duck and brown duck into the sheds then into his garage then i don't see why we can't have your dog and by the way i got banned i wanted to call my cats white cat and black cat and they said no uh, and the but Brad did it argument didn't go down very well in my house at all. Uh, okay, guys. So I think we'll cover the any other business in the awards. Uh, we're going to find out from Matt 
uh, whether he can summarise the race in a very short amount of time. But first of all, I would just like to recommend a thing from one of our friends, Patrick Green, who is in our Slack group and actually a massive podcaster in his own right. His show is a lot more popular than ours. And he has, uh, has, do you not think, Nick? It's, it is, isn't it? It's bigger. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. Which He has two podcasts. I listened to one of them. I'm not sure where you're going with this. Well, this one is Just Winging It, and it's two 30-something dads exploring poopy diapers, the meaning of life, and along the way they cover quantum levitation, child <laughs> sociopaths, charismatic masseuses, frightening turkeys, sleeping in parking lots, and the nightmare that is hardened Play-Doh. Yes, I'm sympathizing with all of this. Nick? This podcast is hilarious. I've been listening to it at work, and he and another dad have been describing all the poop mayhem that comes with having one to four-year-olds. And I'm I'm a respectable business person in a in a very quiet office full of a bunch of people with PhDs and master's degrees, and I'm trying not to laugh out loud at Patrick describing like his kid pooping in the bathtub and the consistency. It, like it's Totally hysterical. Check it out. You don't have to be a parent. It's very funny. Uh, I'm offended I haven't been invited on. It's not heard of Dad Hub, uh, but Just Winging It is a podcast about life glimpsed through the lens of young-ish fatherhood. Each week, John and Patrick tackle a new topic and come to the inevitable conclusion that no one has any control over anything and life is complicated chaos. No, complete chaos. And that reality is as hilarious as it is beautiful. Just Winging It is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify and all popular podcatchers. The new episode drops every Sunday night. More at www.justwingingitpodcast.com. Let's go over to Matt to find out if he can summarise this race, I don't know, in 60 seconds. Yes. Yes, I can. And here we go. Lights out. Hamilton, good start. But uh, shuts down Reganen. Signs by Vettel. Vettel by Signs. Verstappen takes Signs wide. Verstappen, P5. Vettel gets Reganen. P3. Erickson hits Ricciardo. Perez hits Leclerc. Leclerc out. Magnussen, P7. Verstappen loses power. Verstappen out. Verstappen, naughty on the radio. Horner, naughtier on the radio. Ricciardo gets Alonso, P10. Reganen has no drinks. They discuss this for a while. He eventually is told not to use the button. Ricciardo gets Hulkenberg, P9. Raikkonen, Pitts. It's slow. Botas, Pitts. Hamilton, Pitts. Ricciardo gets Gasly, P5. Raikkonen, Pitts again. Botas doesn't. Vettel, traffic. Vettel, Pitts. Slow. Vettel behind Botas. Van Dorn out. Virtual safety car. No one Pitts. Verstappen gets Botas, P2. Botas hits Vettel. Raikkonen gets Botas. Ricciardo gets Botas. Botas hits Ricciardo. Ricciardo gets Botas. Checkers. Hamilton wins. Oh, wait. Botas penalty. That's right. Hamilton wins the 2018 Hungarian Grand Prix and stretches out into the lead. How far in the lead is he in the championship now, Nick? You know numbers and stuff. Oh, dear. It's like 217 to 183, maybe. Is that 30? 42. Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't have predicted this a few races back. It's um, it's certainly a turnaround. Uh, and as we've seen, though, the last few seasons, you can claw back a deficit like this. So we're sat here all as a mixture of uh, Hamilton and Mercedes and Ferrari and Vettel fans sitting and wondering who who we think is going to 
prosper in the end? Who, who do we think is in the driving seat of the championship? I cannot shake off this feeling that Ferrari are going to lag behind at some point because technically that is what's happened. That has been their trend for the last four or five years is to lose the development race. Matt, why are you so sure that it's different this season? I am convinced that Ferrari has everything it needs to win except for the actual luck of winning. And I had, uh, when, I was a, when I was a young boy and played soccer, which we like to call it over here, I had a coach who flat out told me uh, after a game, I'd rather have a player that's lucky than good. And I feel like at this moment, the momentum, the racing luck is just turning against them when they should be building a lead against any eventuality. They find themselves behind, even though they have better equipment. And that just doesn't mean good things because every new race is a chance for Mercedes to catch back up and make their life harder. So do we think Red Bull are completely out of it? Oh, yeah. They were never in it to begin with. You don't think so? I, 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 maybe they weren't in the title hunt, but they were up there really making a, a mess of themselves and uh, in a good way. Whereas now you're just thinking, are they, are they, are they going to be sticking their nose in ahead at Abu Dhabi? Are they going to be affecting this title fight? Uh, we we have seen them win, uh, what, two races? They might win another. But it seems like to me, if you look at the deficit between them and Ferrari and Mercedes, that it's gone up to nearly a second. And that's an awful lot. And suggest to me that perhaps they're focusing more on integrating the Honda into next year's package than they are uh, doing a whole heck of a lot with the rest of their season. Yeah, excellent segue. I was just going to say there's one key difference between the last couple of seasons where Red Bull had excellent late development and this one in that they are switching power unit providers next season. And I find it very hard to believe that Renault is going to be delivering them all sorts of upgrades this year that are going to catch them up to the front, especially after all the kind words that they had to say about them on air today. Bradley Philpott. At the risk of um, throwing away my Pony Award later on, can I please read you out a clean version of Max Verstappen's radio rant? <laughs> please do. Okay, I'm going to replace the, the naughty words with um, clean words that start with the same letter. So Max said, can I not just go ahead and fry it? I don't care if this engine blows up. What a frustrating joke all the time with this silliness, honestly. And and they're not shy. They're not shy at all. And Christian Horner was not shy when he came uh, to talk to Sky afterwards. Red Bull and Renault are now at war. And we noticed, didn't we, with Ricardo's upgrade that he didn't get all the components that were upgraded. And, and Red Bull are openly hostile about the Renault engine they've got. Now, th- I'm going to say this. Mist Apex podcast understands that. And we all we remember the last time I said that, right? Mist Apex podcast understands that Red Bull feel they have tangible evidence that since they made the Red Bull deal, their Renault power units are down on power. So that is not me saying that. I, I This is something I understand. Now, when you look at the relationship between Renault and Toro Rosso at the end of the last season, Matt, Toro Rosso were openly accusing Renault of scuppering them with spare parts and engine and power and settings and all sorts. And and now that same kind of tone is creeping in again. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised it is because, frankly, if you look at the deficit, it is a bit interesting that 
that they have gotten farther away um, as as Renault has continued to develop the engine. We do know that for reasons uh, that remain unexplained, uh, they are sticking with the not new version of the MGUK um, because they feel like the new one is no more reliable than the old one. At least they understand how to use the old one uh, for maximum advantage and profit. But, you know, you could make the argument that lack of development on Renault's side is responsible for them being further behind. But you could equally make the argument that uh, Renault is not making their life any, well, I don't know, shall we say simpler for uh, legal reasons? <laughs> yeah, please. I think, I, I think yeah. that's probably a good way, good way to go. But I do love uh, Horner's comment that he was looking forward to talking to Abitable and, and getting the excuses this time for the engine failing given the millions of dollars that they're spending on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I sense that'll be a fun meeting to, to, to be uh, listening to. Wasn't it the MG UK that failed on Max's car today? Uh, I, I think that's what it was. I didn't confirm it though. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think so whose fault is that then? If they chose not to use a newer one, right? Well, it was new in the sense that it was fresh from the factory, but new is not new in the sense is they didn't go with the upgraded specification. It's still not their fault that Renault haven't built a good enough one for them. You know, e- even if it's the older spec, they're still paying for stuff on the basis that it will last as long as it's supposed to last. I think yeah, you, I, that's right. I, well, I would love to know what Red Bull could possibly do with this alleged tangible evidence, like what what that would mean from a administrative or legal or whatever i'd love to hear some legal analysis on that well it is kind of interesting because in the regulations they are required now to to give all uh the manufacturers required to give teams the same specification and and access to the same engine modes uh that that the manufacturers uh that the works teams themselves uh are entitled to and and we've seen that helping some of the um midfield teams uh but Funnily enough, not so much Red Bull. So we've been diverted. We went down a tangent there. So we're a bit split then. So you still think Ferrari are still in with a chance. I think Mercedes are going to stretch their legs in the second half of the season. I know we're already into the second half of the season. I think that Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton are in a better shape to fight in a title scrap that is a two-way title scrap than are Ferrari and Vettel. I think the smart money's on Hamilton and Mercedes at this point. Let's give out some awards for this weekend, though. Thing of the weekend. Who should we pick on first? Who's looking down saying, don't pick me? It's Bradley Philpott. Who's your thing of the weekend? I wasn't saying don't pick me at all. I was looking for my phone where I've prepared an answer. Um, Thing of the weekend... Um, qualifying being wet. Qualifying was really exciting. It so was, I really, really enjoyed that session. It was really good. Like it was genuinely like really good, entertaining TV. It's a, you know, we talk about the sprinklers and stuff, but when those things come along, they're worth it, aren't they? But it's a novelty as well. Yeah. I was saying to my, my other half, I don't think I can remember ever seeing a proper qualifying session where the full wets were used for a session. It's like, uh, what are these blue colored sidewalls? And did she care? No, no, she didn't care. No, mine, mine neither. Uh, but what was interesting for me is that nobody had practiced in the wet there. So they were all kind of having to feel their way in real time. And I'm going to get accused of being a fanboy, but, you know, Lewis Hamilton, interchangeable conditions, uh, into full wets, completely unknown territory. He rose to the top there. When things are unexpected and changing, Lewis Hamilton has the feel to get it onto pole. 
And can I just say, actually, just a bit of kudos to Bottas for only being two tenths behind um, in those crazy conditions. Because Hamilton is obviously sublime in those terrible conditions. Bottas wasn't that far away. If he didn't have you know, the, the class of the field as his teammate, we'd have all been hailing how amazing Bottas's wet lines were in that session. And he beat the Ferraris yep. to pole in terrible conditions. And, and Bottas is one of my things of the weekend. And not just because I wanted to give him a massive hug and push Natalie Pinkham away. You leave him alone, Natalie Pinkham, and just give Bottas a big bear hug and just hold him for just slightly too long. And then, and then he's like, did you take a sniff then? I'm like, yes, your hair, it smells of fine finished fragrance and perfumes. Uh, but yeah, he gets my thing of the weekend because you're right. He, he did do well and he was given a job to do by Mercedes, whether he knew it or not, but he, he did do it. He had four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel in a very fast Ferrari in dry conditions behind him. He had aging tyres and he held on for a long time. So Bottas gets one of my things of the weekend. I've got few. Brad, is that the chat room speaking up? Yeah, I was just going to mention that um, Jos Terhorst in the chat room said that, uh, and I'd, I'd have to check this, but I'm going to believe him, out of the last nine wet races, Hamilton has won all nine. Has there been... Not has there been that many since Brazil 2016? I don't know quite how he's judging it. Maybe um, if the wet tires were used at, at any point, um, I don't know. Josh, maybe you can um, enlighten us. Yeah, it just seems like a lot. But uh, Dom Byrne in the chat room had a thing of the weekend that I thought was good. It's it's along the lines of Brad's, but a little bit more specific in that the session was not red flagged. And a big thank you to the stewards for that. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Nick, since you're speaking, who was your thing of the weekend? I rather enjoyed um, the battle between Ricciardo and Magnussen. And I loved Ted Kravitz's comment that an unstoppable force was coming after an immovable object. <laughs> and just very well put. Sometimes I think maybe he and Crofty should switch and maybe he should do more of the talking. Maybe they should cut to Crofty for little snippets. Brad shaking his head. No? Okay. The uh, thing is, Magnussen did defend really well, and he would have been my my other thing of the weekend. I had a cheeky bet on him to finish in the top six. He had a bad pit stop in the end. Harsh. Come on, guys. How many more points are you going to throw away? Do, do it a bit better because you're just on the cusp of being brilliant. Um, Nick, uh, we had a series of uh, things that you noticed. Nick notices things. You had a couple more, actually. Oh, oh just that, that's, that's, that's so helpful. Thank you, Spanner. Yes, Nick, over to you to discuss the topics about the stuffs. <laughs> Can you repeat the part of the stuffs where you said about the things? I do have another thing to talk about. Max Verstappen's radio, uh, you know, possible contender for a Pony Award. We'll get there. But he was being interviewed after the race. And somebody pointed out that, you know, there was a lot of bleeping going on in your radio message. And I loved it. He just said, you know, I really wish they wouldn't do that. It'd be a lot better to listen to if it was unedited. To be honest, and as far as I'm concerned, if you listen back to that tirade on Sky, it was not beeped very well. You can clearly make out. In fact, I'm going to test it with my eight-year-old because he knows what those words are. He's smart enough not to say them in front of me because you get clipped around the ear, a metaphorical one, uh, as far as you know. Uh, and I'm going to say, what words was he saying? Because it was really obvious. It was really badly beeped. Well, he was just saying the F word. I, I thought I already pointed out exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah, you didn't get all that from that? Uh, true thing. Okay, Matt Trumpets, who was your thing of the weekend? Well, I think I have to go with the chat room first. Uh, chucking up that Force India being in administration is there is the thing of the weekend for uh, JBJ 1138. 
And yeah. for me, I, it was really tough. But in the end, I'm going to have to go with Pierre Gasly finishing. Uh, was it P6 that he he wound up? Yeah, it was P6. Amazing drive for the Toro Rosso and the Honda. But it's closely rivaled by Haas moving up in the Constructors' Championship ahead of Force India now by seven points. We'll definitely talk about the Force India administration over the summer. But as far as I can tell, it looks like Perez might be the thing of the weekend for saving Force India. I mean, that's certainly the narrative he's putting across. I think in brief, if I understand this, basically him being one of the major creditors, instead of kind of suing, waiting for them to go bankrupt and just claiming his money back, he has invoked administration along with Mercedes to say, actually, it's in administration. We're the creditors. The administration team, though, sell it as a going concern and therefore Force India can continue to operate and look for a buyer. So potentially, if I've understood it right, Perez, you know, thing of the weekend for that. Are we on to the bad thing yet? We are, aren't we? Sadly, Missed Apex Award. Matt, do you want to go first? Um, oh, Missed Apex Award. You caught me off guard because I was going to throw up one more chat room contribution to Thing. But if you want no, to No, go sit- for it. Go for it. If you, uh, uh, that would be Hamilton analyzing his own pole lap. And I have to agree with Lance Lassen there. That was really beautiful. And I hope that Sky continue to do that with uh, pole winners as the season progresses. Yeah, but how much was he just sticking the knife into all his competitors? Everybody else was going here, but I went here because it was faster. And then on the next corner, hey, look, this is where everyone else goes. And this is where I went because I'm aces. <laughs> uh, go on then. Let's have your bad thing award and chat room. Throw us some bad stuff. Um, Matt, bad thing. And then Brad. Uh, my bad thing has to be Renault power units, because how many more do we have to see fail before they finally figure it out? I, I, so the chat rooms missed Apex is, is basically Red Bull. Yeah, they're basically saying Red Bull missed Apex. I mean, it's a dreadful qualifying session, sending Ricardo out on the first on the wrong tires and Q1 didn't make Q3. And uh, I was just going to say, I think the uh, the engine failure for Max kind of gave them somebody to point the finger at and uh, kind of distract from the fact that they weren't doing too well themselves before that. Brad. Okay, so here's my missed Apex. Picture the scene. You're at a hot track and... You know, you're partial to, to cool things and you're driving along and you get a few laps into the race and you're, you're getting pretty, pretty hot, pretty worn out and you press your drinks button and nothing happens. Not even warm liquid comes out. Nothing happens. And, uh, and cause it's, cause the team forgot to plug it in. So that's my missed, uh, missed Apex Award goes to Ferrari for forgetting to connect Raikkonen's yeah, drinks bottle. They just, they don't care if he lives or dies, do they? Like whose wife did he snog? It, it it's had an to have happened. isn't it? They absolutely don't care. Did you catch his comment after the race, though? He's like, oh, look, man, if that's going to cause you a problem, then you are already way too far gone to begin with. Eh, whatever. It didn't really matter. <laughs> oh, it just it just feels like he is just the forgotten child. Like they'll sort Vettel out. And if there's any time left at all, yes, they'll put wheels on Kimmy's car as well. Uh, Nick, uh, missed Apex Award for you? Oh, and the, and the steering wheel as <laughs> well. Um, yeah, missed, missed Apex for me is... is the 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 Red Bull qualifying setting out Danny on the softs just didn't make any sense whatsoever. He almost didn't make out of Q1. Matt, you look bewildered. I am because for some reason I've just been signed out of the chat. I don't understand how that happened. But ah, well, sorry, we'll, 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 we'll feature the solution to that on Missed Apex Sorts Out Technical Problems Part 435. Uh, but let's go to Pony Awards then. Daddy, I want to 
pony, and I want it now. I think Max Verstappen's a pretty obvious one. Do we have any others, Brad? Yeah, it's pretty pretty easy one. Alonso in qualifying. Um, a few people in the chat room have called for this as well. I don't have the exact quote, but it ended with something like. Uh, I don't care. Put whatever tires you want, mate. Um, even if we have a rocket ship, we won't go any faster. But is he wrong? <laughs> no. Trumpets? Right. Well, for me, and I, this was such a minor thing, and, and it was probably missed by everybody, but there was a great radio message from Lance Stroll about his rear tires, in which he basically said, they're not working at all. And the team the team said, well, um, we're looking at the data and they look okay to us. And he goes, you don't know what you're talking about. Look again. Ouch. I was like, yeah, yeah. No, your, your rears aren't working because you broke your only brand new wing that made the whole car work properly. And so you're stuck with a car that doesn't work. And that's what it is that's making you crazy. Is that, that a real, but, is that a real quote from him? Did he really say that? It, I've, got it was, a, I've got a pretty low opinion of the guy, but did he really say that to the team? You don't know what you're talking about. Well, I don't know if he said, I don't remember if you don't know what you're talking about, but that was pretty much what was implied in the radio conversation. Like, well, you might be looking at the data, but I'm driving the tires and I'm telling you that there's something wrong with them. They're not working properly. But well, the problem- his dad's going to buy him a new car anyway. So, yeah. Daddy, but- I want to force India and I want it now. The um, most infuriating thing about the entire sport is that boy. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to go on a rant, um, but I'm going to go on a small rant. Oh my God. It's to have someone who's got so much opportunity and is in such a privileged, privileged position and, you know, basically has their future guaranteed through no, um, no real, no good reason. You know, he's got absolutely no legitimate reason to get annoyed at anyone for anything. He needs to drive the car better and keep quiet, basically. Yeah, absolutely the most annoying thing in the world. Sorry about that. Well, well, he came in and one of the things initially was that he was nice and friendly and he had sort of a humility, but his patience seems to have run out now. And I would opine, and I don't mean to be offensive, that growing up in privilege makes you expect. It it gives you a certain expectation, Matt. Yeah, well, I'd say more to the point, it tends to make everything else not your fault. And throughout school, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Over here, private school is the school you pay for. Public school is the school you go to for free. But in private school, it, it, it can never really be your fault because the parents are paying the bill and, and, and it's the uh, whole, the customer. Now the parents are the customers. It's not the same as it used to be when I was a kid. Get off of my grass. And, and that's, that's the thing. You know, I think we said similar things about Jolian Palmer, who really isn't in that same league as Stroll at all. Uh, neither is Ericsson, by the way, who we gave a really hard time last year. I, I've barely been annoyed by Ericsson at all this year. Uh, but you're right. He, he is a customer of Williams and he will be. Yeah a shareholder of Force India effectively next season. It's not about even his pace. You know, the fact that he's not brilliantly fast is one thing and it it kind of adds to it, but it's the attitude. You just, because things aren't going well, you don't have to be petulant. You don't have to be ungrateful. You need to be a professional sportsman. You're in a position of massive privilege. Get on with the job at hand. If you are multiple world champion and you really know what you're talking about and you've proven yourself and you've, you've done that, whether or not you've come from privilege, then you've got a little bit of a right to demand things. But when you're in his position, you've done nothing in the sport. Drive the car better. Keep quiet. Tell you what, Matt, 
Have you been keeping track of the chat room? Do we have an award to give out to them? Oh, yeah, we do. We do. Let's see. Starting with Dom Byrne replying, in essence, Kimmy's strategy is defined by a random number generator after Seb's strategy meeting. <laughs> yeah, I can oh. completely imagine that. And we have Phil Allen in with thing of the week, McLaren Gearbox failing again. Oof. And to be fair, if it wasn't for a bit of strategy, both McLarens, both McLaren Renaults would have been behind the two Hondas. And they were for a lot of that early part of the race. And on performance, I don't think McLaren have got anywhere to hide at the moment. So who's our winner of comment of the week? Uh, it's got to be Dom Byrne for, in essence, Kimmy's strategy is defined by a random number generator after sub-strategy meeting. Of the week. Remember to tune in to next week's show where you will hear that played live by Mrs. Spanners. You will see Matt Trumpets in real life if you tune into the live stream. I think we're going to try and live stream it. I'm not sure. No promises. But Bradley Philpot, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens is going to be there. Summers F1. Uh, We're going to be joined by Alex Brundle as well. So make sure you tune into us and keep touch with us over the summer. We won't let you down. Until next time, remember that wounds heal. Chicks dig scars and glory last forever. Come and see us. Missed Apex Live. And uh, also, I think the show will be unedited next week, simply because I won't have time to do anything. So not even add bleeps. So everybody be be non-Vestapeny, if you can. I'm fed up with this silliness. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.